Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking about structural heart disease and joining us is interventional cardiologist Dr. Joseph Freddy with WK Piermont Cardiology. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show and as a reminder please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down all the way before making your call. The number is 318-219-4569 and we look forward to hearing from you about this topic. Dr. Freddie, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking. Oh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And we started earlier talking about what you do, what it what it means to be an interventional cardiologist. And so it was so brief. Why don't you take a little time and explain to me and our viewers what that actually is? So an interventional cardiology is a subspecialty of the specialty of cardiology where an individual who does that type of work <coughs> actually does invasive procedures to explore diagnostically what might not be right with somebody's heart and then for to go further and on occasion repair what's not right or what's broken so they're called invasive and some and interventional because we intervene on something broken intervene on something broken yeah. that's really clear that's and, and that's really the crux yeah. of it yeah and so that leads us to our topic today which is structural heart disease so what is that exactly so most people, when they think about heart disease, they think about having heart attacks or strokes. Stroke is really a brain disease, but it's a vascular disease. And most heart disease in America, and in the developing world for that matter, is really a vascular disease. It's, um, it's disease of the blood vessels that brings blood to the heart and nourishes the heart. So if this is your heart muscle, with the heart is a muscle, there are three blood vessels that are on top and around the blood, the heart muscle, that conduct blood or bring blood to that heart muscle because we all know <clears throat> all of our tissues, including our muscles, need blood to function properly. In, in our country and in the developing world, the blood vessels that bring blood to the heart um, often get clogged up. It's a very common disease. It's the most common disease in America and it's the number one cause for death, is heart artery disease, leading to uh, a lot of disability, uh, a lot of disease, and uh, heart attacks, and, and, uh, and for some people, uh, fatalities. So it's a, it's a it can be a dangerous problem, but a very treatable problem. That's encouraging. Yes. We hear about because a lot of times we do. We just hear that it is so rampant, it is common, right. but hardly ever do we get to really feel that highly treatable is really encouraging. Right. So when we talk about the clogging and the disease, how does that, and we can't say it enough, I think, the different ways that that happens yeah. in our body. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it really is a, a serious public health problem, yeah. actually. Uh, and my wife is a public health professor, so public health is big in our household, right? <laughs> so uh, uh, vascular disease, heart disease, is a, is a public health problem. Um, the, the reasons people's arteries get clogged are twofold. And I like to say that while genetics may load the gun, often lifestyle pulls the trigger. So it, it can be genetic, you can be genetically predisposed to developing blocked arteries of your body, uh, your heart and elsewhere. <clears throat> but lifestyle plays a huge role, both in the development of the disease as well as the uh, precipitating acute events. So the typical lifestyle issues that we deal with are diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smoking, and uh, obesity and sedentary lifestyle. Those are the five biggest 
uh, risk factors that we uh, are deal with when we look at risk factors for development of heart disease and specifically vascular disease or blood vessel disease uh, of the heart. I love that you said that. I'm very visual and I love that you put it that way, um, that your lifestyle is the trigger. Your lifestyle it, pulls it, the trigger. It, it, often, it yeah. often is or often can be, not always, but very, very frequently. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to you mentioning public health. For people watching don't really understand what a public health issue is. Let's briefly talk well, about that. Well, I think that. we've just experienced a public health issue. Everybody knows they lived through COVID, right. hopefully lived through COVID, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's a major public health issue. As I mentioned earlier, Heart disease is the number one cause of death in our country, by far exceeding anything else, cancer, infectious disease, or anything else. Because it's such a high number of, you know, it's such a great um, large number of, of issues, it's a public health issue. You know, I think um, our, our, the things that we do or don't do that precipitate uh, the development of heart disease is really a public health issue. And what would you say is the reason that it's the number one that so many well, people have? I think lifestyle it. has it a is lot. lifestyle. I think lifestyle has a, a big role to play. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned before, genetics are very important. Obviously, none of us can do anything about our DNA. We can't go back and change our DNA. We can't go back and choose our parents, right? But we can modify our lifestyles, and uh, it often requires both the genetic predisposition, and then the lifestyle triggers to precipitate some uh, a cardiac event. Which is also good to know. We talked about it being highly treatable, but also you, your lifestyle is something that you can change and you can, not always easy, but it's a simple way to at least get it better and take care of yourself. Not only that, if you do develop heart problems or cardiac problems, um, and, and you, you've done everything you can to do to modify and improve, you know, keep your lifestyle as healthy as possible, you generally do better mm -hmm. than compared to those that uh, choose other, other courses. Right, and would you say your lifestyle, when you, you, you feel better and you do better, that's an overall conditioning, feeling good. You're happier, you're more mobile, your life opens up, and that really helps your heart stay healthy too. Is that true? That is true, and we, and we are beginning to understand, and we have understood for a, a long time now that Emotional state uh, also plays a role in sometimes triggering cardiac events. Um, stress, uh, stress is not good for your cardiovascular system. And have you found that maybe increase over this past even five to 10 years? Well, the, the last few years yeah. through the pandemic has been tough for everybody. Have you and, seen a lot? And we've, we have, we have seen uh, lots of uh, sad stories. I bet you have. So is this, is this heart disease congenital? Heart disease is really multifactorial. Some heart disease is congenital. We have every day probably in Shreveport there's a baby or two or three born with some sort of heart disease. That's congenital heart disease. But it's not vascular disease. Vascular disease, disease of these blood vessels that bring blood to the heart, is a disease of uh, a degeneration, of aging, of lifestyle choices, and genetics. But babies are not born with blood vessel disease of the heart unless they're born with what's called, um, well, that's really specialized, but they can have malformed blood vessels of the heart, but they're not, they, they don't develop plaque and what we call atherosclerosis. 
when babies have heart disease or children, which we call congenital heart disease, it's usually other types of disease. So it can be problems with the heart valves. It can be problems with the blood vessels that either lead into or lead out of the heart itself. It can be problems with holes inside the heart and things like that. So there are different types of heart problems than we see in the adult population for the most part. And, and this is just something while the baby is being formed, this happens. Correct. It's nothing that the mother could have done differently correct. or anything. So definitely just, this is the baby. That's this correct. Is what it's, a, it's a genetic abnormality yeah. mm -hmm. that leads to um, a developmental, a cardiac developmental uh, issue. Mm -hmm. And is it hereditary, the structural heart disease? Can be. Well, y yes and no. Um, so structural heart disease in a child, in an infant or a child, can be hereditary, not always, but can be hereditary. Structural heart disease in adults can sometimes be hereditary, but sometimes it's also degenerative or acquired. So most interventional cardiologists deal with issues regarding the heart arteries that bring blood to the heart muscle. People who specialize in structural heart disease deal with other types of issues to the heart. And in adults, that in often involves heart valve disease and sometimes unrecognized congenital abnormalities of the heart that are never recognized until they reach it, something happens during adulthood. So while the, this is the heart and these are the blood vessels to bring, there's lots of stuff inside the heart that can go wrong. And, a l and we in structural heart disease intervention spend a lot of our time and energy working on that. That's incredible. So, is there anything that we can do to, besides Unlo lifestyles or anything? Because yeah. like, what are the things that actually cause structural yeah. heart disease? So, unlike vascular disease, blood vessel disease, which is often lifestyle dependent or heavily influenced by lifestyle, structural heart disease, heart valve disease, unrecognized problems that you would have been born with that didn't manifest until you were an adult, there's not, that's not much you can do about that. Now, heart, we spent a lot of time in heart valve disease, especially in older adults, and that is really a degenerative process. There's probably a genetic predisposition in some people, but over time, uh, um, wear and tear or degenerate, all of our tissues degenerate, you know, um, you know, my face doesn't look the same as when I was 25 years old. I bet it does, Dr. Uh, not Freddy. At all. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, our tissues can degenerate over time. And so a combination of genetic predisposition and normal tissue degenerative processes can play a role to precipitate a, an issue that requires medical attention. And does that happen to everyone, but it's just not as chronic or, or or serious, or um, a degenerative valve happen in certain people only with what age? A, what a great question. So we all suffer from degenerative changes in our tissues, but only really a small number have uh, degenerative changes that result in a real um, pathological problem with a heart valve or some other aspect of the, of the, heart, the heart structure, mostly valves. We spend a lot of times in heart valve problems, but um, so what, why one person will develop this problem and the next person will not, 
is, uh, is an area of lots of intense research right now, and you can, it's not able to really be predicted except for a few very specialized circumstances. It's very interesting to me that you can have a congenital heart disease that does not show up until way later in your life. Correct. You were born with it, yes. and you're carrying it all these years, and then it manifests a little later in your life. Yes. And is there something that when you go in and look that you can tell? I mean, I've always wondered, like, how do you know that this person has had this all their life? Because it's a different sometimes, problem? Well, sometimes these problems are what we call discovered rather than diagnosed. Mm. means that we oh, are great. imaging the person's heart for maybe one reason and discover another issue, right? And sometimes it's diagnosed, meaning, okay, something happens. We consider, well, could this be a problem? Let's take, let's image this, see if we can find it, in, in, you know, some, get an image of somebody's heart to see if we can confirm that, and then we find the abnormality, yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. Are there symptoms that are specific to structural heart disease? Yes, it depends on the type of structural heart disease. So like heart valve disease. The most common heart valve disease in most adults is called, is, involves the, a, the aortic valve. Uh, very closely accompanied by the mitral valve, and these valves become dysfunctional. And so there are, there are symptoms related to this. Most of the symptoms, like in aortic valve disease, involves problems with breathing, shortness of breath, or the development of congestive heart failure. Uh, you can develop symptoms what we, of what we call angina or angina, just like people who have blockage, yet they don't have blockage. And you can lead to uh, problems with passing out. With mitral valve disease, it's mostly problems with breathing and the development uh, of congestive heart failure. So yeah, there are symptoms that lead to the, the consideration of valve problems. When your doctor listens to your heart, your doctor cannot hear problems with the blood vessels of your heart. Your doctor can hear a problem with a heart valve if it's not functioning properly and that is what your doctor is listening for. I've always wondered that. That's what they're listening for? Yeah, we cannot hear, a, if you have a, if there's somebody walking around with a blocked artery and I were to listen to their heart, it could sound perfectly normal. It would sound perfectly normal. But if somebody has a serious problem with one of their heart valves and I carefully listen, as we always do yeah. in cardiology, then we can often hear that problem and start to suspect that problem. Can you describe in a way that I might understand what that <laughs> sounds like, the difference? Because I was thinking just listening to the heartbeat, beating good, you know, that's what so they're listening to. What do you hear? When you listen to a normal heart, it's, it's just kind of a, it's classically in, in medical textbooks uh -huh. um, or textbooks of physical examination in medical school, it's called the lub dub, lub dub, lub dub. It's not really that, but it's cl that's close. That to sounds it. right to me. But when you listen to somebody with a heart valve problem, it's a different sound. It's a swishing sound. So it's, it'll be like, or that's if it's in during the phase where the heart contracts, or sometimes a softer sound in between the contractions that is more like a I, I could listen to it all day. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. So you'll hear that instead of the lub dub lub dub. You'll hear both. You know, both, but you'll hear that extra swishing. Yeah, you'll hear these yeah. extra noises. Yes. Uh huh. So like a routine visit, they come in and hear this, or or they've come to you specifically since you're specialized. They'll hear that. But when you hear that, um, are you already looking for that because of what they're in to see you about? And then when you hear that, what's your next step? So when when we suspect there's a heart valve issue, then our next step is to image the heart.
Okay. And the most common uh, technique to we start out with imaging heart is an ultrasound of the heart. We call echocardiography. There's lot. There's several other imaging uh, uh, modalities that are uh, more specialized uh, and more and very very useful. Uh, but we generally start out with that type of imaging for the heart artery, the muscle of the heart, and the valves of the heart. For imaging the blood vessels of the heart, that requires different types of choices. Okay, let's start with the echocardiogram. How is that done? It's a very simple test. It's an ultrasound of the heart. Most people have, many people, I shouldn't <laughs> say most people, have had ultrasounds. Uh, every woman who's, view, who's listening or watching who has had a child has had ultrasounds um, almost certainly during uh, uh, their time of mm -hmm. their pregnancy. So ultrasound is just a way of imaging body parts and you can, you can image your gallbladder, you can image uh, other aspects and we can very nicely image the heart with ultrasound as well. So for the heart it's done the same way? It's, it's done, just it's on the, the same the technology, yeah. same technique, just obviously a different location. Done by um, you know, technicians who are especially trained to image the heart. Mm-hmm, okay. And then, then it goes to someone to read it and then you get the information and back. And then your cardiologist kind of will interpret that and then communicate the findings with you and make recommendations based on what he or she happens to see. Okay, and is that the most common way to it's test? It's probably the most common way. It, it is a very common way and one of the more common ways to look for evidence of what we call structural heart disease, a problem with the heart muscle or a problem with heart valves or any other problem inside the heart. When we look at imaging of the heart arteries, that's, we can't see really the heart arteries with this type of technology, and we look at alternative technologies to look at that. Okay, and is that initial um, test, is that going to tell you if it's muscle or valve or both? Yes. And then where do you go from there? Depends on what we find. Yeah. So we may, if it's an isolated heart valve problem, we go down that pathway. If it's a heart muscle problem, it takes us down a different pathway. Sometimes heart muscle problems lead to dysfunctional valves, but, we, but the underlying problem is the heart muscle. We treat that and the valve issue may or may not get better. So, so muscle as opposed to valve, can you repair, because the heart is a muscle, right? And can you repair that as opposed to repairing a valve? Another great question. Depends on what's injured the muscle. Mm. So for example, a heart attack. Heart attack is the most common cause of injured heart muscle. Um, the best way to repair an injured heart muscle from a heart attack is if you, to get to your hospital as quickly as possible and get the heart attack stopped. Uh, time, time is muscle, right? So, uh, but, uh, but sometimes after a heart attack, there is sometimes in, uh, frequently uh, da permanently damaged heart muscle. And while we can't necessarily repair that, although let me get back to that because their new research has changed that oh, a little bit. Yeah. But while we can't necessarily repair that, we do have effective treatments to allow people to live with the consequences successfully. There are, there are, there has been ongoing for quite some time and the uh, field is, is ever maturing and growing. The ability to try to repair uh, what previously we have felt to be uh, permanent heart muscle damage using um, different technologies and, um, and uh, to, to be able to regenerate damaged heart muscle. <laughs> That's incredible. Grow a new heart muscle. Wow. Not a whole new, but, you but know, repair the 
the area of the heart that's been damaged with new functioning heart muscle cells and tissue. Yeah, and when you say to live successfully with the consequences, is that with medication or lifestyle with change? How do you how do you help someone it. live? Yes. Yeah. All of it, medication. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes interventional mm -hmm. techniques to uh, unclog blocked arteries, combined with medication, combined with lifestyle uh, changes and choices. Takes all of it. It takes all of it, yeah. <laughs> And then do they stay with you throughout and, and check with you years to come? Do they always go or do they go back to their doctor? Or how is it, how do they check in with you to make sure they're on the right track? So once you develop a significant heart problem, you are usually stuck with a cardiologist <laughs> for the remainder of your life. Now, there are some cardiac issues that can be, quote, cured, but not very many. Um, and so uh, for the most part, uh, once you develop a, a cardiac condition like we've been talking about, you're going to be checking in with your cardiologist periodically for sure. a long time to come. Yeah. Hopefully which is for good. a long time. Which is nice to have. Yes. That you can check in with your cardiologist. Yeah. yeah. So let's go so. to the valve. We talked about the muscle. Now the valves, so the mitral valve and the aortic valve obviously have different jobs, right? Right. And there are four valves in the heart, but right. those are the most two com common ones that adults deal with. Children, mm -hmm. interestingly, deal with the other two heart valves. Not the really? Well, in not entirely true, but anyway, let's get More back so. to um, what most people are, are dealing with. So, in the past, heart valve issues has been the purview of cardiac surgery. 20, 20 years ago, the only way that a person could have had their heart valve replaced or repaired is through open heart surgery, which, you know, it's a pretty big procedure very successful procedure in, select, in properly selected patients, very important to do, but only through heart, heart surgery. In the past 10, 15, 10 to 12 years, uh, technology has made enormous strides in being able to treat adults with heart valve issues to replace heart valves and repair heart valves without doing open heart surgery. And we at Willis-Knighton spend a fair amount of our time doing just that. Do you do it robotically? No, no, we do it with catheters. No, and um, it's a, it's an it's amazing incredible. technology. That yeah. is incredible. Yeah. So when you replace a valve, does that mean with a like a, with a, a foreign with tissue? A, yes, a foreign with an artificial valve. Artificial. That's correct. With okay. a with um, an artificial valve. Okay. Let's talk about those four valves. What do the valves do? And then we'll talk about children because that sounded really interesting. How yeah. it's different. So valves inside the heart are one way, are basically one way gates. You know, heart, blood comes to your heart, it goes through your heart, it goes to your heart, it goes through your lungs, back to another part of your heart, and then to your body. And that blood flow is controlled by a series of gates that we call valves that allow passage of blood from one chamber of the heart to another, but not back to where it just came from. And so uh, that's what those valves are designed to do, to keep blood flowing in one direction from coming into the heart to ultimately getting out of the heart, going to the body. And so we have uh, two valves on what we call the left side of the heart, the aortic and the mitral valves, which are mostly, um, when we see heart valve disease in adults, that's 99% of what we deal with, well, 90% of what we deal with. Uh, the other two valves on the what's called the right side of the heart, on the sort of the receiving side of the heart, the tricuspid and the pulmonic valves, are um, important valves, but they're, but when heart valve disease involves children, it's often those valves that are dysfunctional, and a lot of times 
that is a congenital, they're born with a dysfunctional or dysmorphic valve that, that is dysfunctional. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. And do you, do you uh, treat it in children the same way? Do it, would a child have a valve replacement yes. surgery? Yes. Do you there see are that? Yes, there are children days of age who have to have valve surgery. Oh my goodness. And then is there anything different from their lifestyle growing up? Yes. It is, and I'm yeah. not a, a pediatric cardiologist, right. so I don't want to yes. um, misspeak. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think if you have, uh, and, uh, and the technology is amazing. So yeah, children who have, and there are different types of congenital issues, not involving heart valves, in which a child can uh, enjoy a perfectly normal life and lifestyle. And there are others in which they have to um, you know, have uh, frequent checks and and uh, a heart valve replacement at a certain age, the child's heart and the child may grow, obviously, hopefully grow to where um, the valve then would have to be um, re-repaired, if yeah. you will, no. or re-replaced. Right, very interesting. All right, we have Nicole on the line for you. Hi, Nicole, thanks for calling. What's your question? Hi, yes, my grandmother has atrial fibrillation and we've done some research about the Watchman. How beneficial is that procedure and what life look like after? What, what a really great question from Nicole. She's obviously a very astute uh, She's listener. done her homework. She's done her homework. <laughs> <laughs> atrial fibrillation, you probably had others on your, on talk about atrial fibrillation. Yes. It's an electrical problem. One of the, the major health consequence of that is the development of blood clots in a certain portion of the heart. Um, and for which people, a lot of people with atrial fibrillation, either all the time or even intermittent atrial fibrillation, paroxysm, have to take blood thinner to prevent the development of these blood clots. The biggest problem with having a blood clot in the heart is that it can break off and lead to a stroke. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that's why we prescribe blood thinners. Well. Uh, we've been able to identify the area of the heart that develops, that collects these blood uh, clots. And the w Nicole, our, uh, our listener, has mentioned a Watchman device. And there are actually two devices on the market now, Watchman and Amulet. Uh, those are proprietary names for what we call left atrial appendage occlusion. So the area of the heart that collects the blood clots is the left atrial appendage. It's like a little pouch. It's, it's, it, the left atrium is sort of a, not spherical, but you can think of it as a spherical s structure. And the appendage is like a little appendix, if you will, a little pouch. That, and what uh, the technology now exists that for people who can't take blood thinner, is you go in and plug that little pouch and basically isolate it so that blood clots can no longer form there. It's very effective. Oh. It, it is uh, successful well over 90% of the time, probably 95 to 99% of the time, and is extremely successful and useful. Well, that's good news, Nicole. Does that answer your question? That answered it perfectly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling and good luck with everything with your grandmother. That is wonderful news. So we have a couple more minutes. Let's talk about um, the prognosis for someone with structural heart disease. Uh, depends. It depends. Mm -hmm. It's um, you know, it's not one size fits all. So, right. the most for an adult, the for all types of heart disease for adults, I think this is true. 
the function of your heart, uh, how well it functions, how well it squeezes, how well it works, is the major factor that correlates with prognosis. And anything you can do to keep the heart from becoming damaged and functioning normally will, be f will help prognosis. And so if we catch some of the, a lot of these problems early enough before any damage to the heart muscle can be done, then the pro and, and treatment is successful and a prognosis should be excellent. And can live a quality life. High, like very, yes, quality life and good prognosis. Seems like with everything, everything with the body, but especially with the heart, the sooner you can find out what's going on and start taking care of it, the better. Yeah, so. probably a lesson in life in general. I think so too, Dr. <laughs> Freddie. That's very good. Words to live by. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for being here. Well, this thank has you been, for asking us. Sure. This has been so interesting, not only to find out what you do as an interventional cardiologist, but you've helped us so much today understand the treatment, the symptoms to look for, the prognosis, and, and how to live a really good quality life here in the area in the Arklatex. We're so happy that you're here to help us all do this Thank so much. You. And with WK Piermont Cardiology, yes, that's where they can find you. Yes, Does someone need to be referred to you? or Usually if they call the office, they'll take care of it. They can take care of it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we have just a few seconds here. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Um, live a healthy life. You only get one shot to go around and take care of it when you know, the best you can. Right. And go for help as soon as you see those symptoms or you yeah. even if you're just wondering there's yeah. there's no silly questions and you know just go and ask you ask for help because you're here right. to go yes. all of willis knighton we've got everybody it's such a big health system yeah right i mean we have people come to us worried about it and it's just wonderful to be able to help people to have wonderfully healthy hearts yeah. when we can well we appreciate you being here and appreciate you being here today it's been such a pleasure talking to you about this we really appreciate it thank you and thank you to everyone who's watched today we really appreciate all our viewers calling and watching and supporting healthline three it's been a joy to have this show today certainly talk about heart health so important thank you so much and we will see you next time on healthline three <laughs>